Welcome to the Market Pulse podcast from Equifax, where we break down the latest economic and credit insights to help you navigate today's business landscape. Welcome to the Market Pulse podcast. I'm your host, Tom O'Neill, and I'm a member of the Risk Advisory Group here at Equifax. Collectively, this risk advisory team supports our clients by providing insights and guidance on how to navigate economic uncertainty and uncover hidden opportunities. Uh, my panel of experts today include David Soika, Jesse Harden, Maria Urtube, and Thomas Aleph. Happy to have all of you with us today. Thanks, Tom. Hey, Tom. Thanks, Tom. So today we're going to be continuing our discussion about the credit and financial stresses facing consumers. Uh, In last month's podcast, we spoke about what we mean by consumer stress and what some of the factors behind that stress are. Uh, But today, we'd like to turn more attention to see where that stress manifests itself in the data available to us. Uh, We'd like to explore what kind of information we can use to distinguish consumers who are thriving from those who are struggling in these conditions, and maybe see what the data tells us about what lenders can do if they have access to these kinds of insights. Before we begin, though, let's kick things off with a quick economic update from David Fieldhouse, Director of Consumer Credit Analytics at Moody's Analytics. David? Hello. Uh, In the current environment, where good news about the labor market is often bad news for the Fed's inflation fight, the September employment report is creating some angst. Uh, The report was a strong upside surprise. Payroll employment rose by 336,000, which is far stronger than both our forecast and consensus expectations were. Furthermore, the impact of the revisions was significantly positive as well. It's now the case that job growth has averaged 266,000 new employment positions over the last three months. The report showed job growth across all major industries, so it was very broad-based. Uh, the only uh, exception was in information, which saw a decline in employment. Uh, and it, healthcare has been very stable and, and the most uh, significant part of growth in the last several months. The results of the household survey, it's a different survey, they're not quite as rosy, though. So we don't want to overreact to the payroll employment uh, survey. The unemployment rate held steady at 3.8%, the highest since February 2022, as there was little movement across the household survey measures. The labor force and employment measures both increased, but only modestly, while labor force participation rate held steady after moving meaningfully higher in recent months. Average hourly earnings was a bright spot, coming in below expectations at 0.2% in September. Again, this is the good news is bad news type conversation that we're having where everything's viewed in the context of the Fed's response. Uh, The unemployment rate forecast was little changed given that it's held steady at 3.8% to close out the third quarter. The unemployment rate is expected to close the year at 3.9% before rising next year to a peak of 4.2%. Over the next year, the change in the unemployment rate will be right on the board of a 50 basis point increase within a 12-month period. And that's historically been a potential uh, indicator that the economy is in a recession. Again, that's not, not our, our forecast, but we are walking a very fine line here. Risks remain tilted to the downside, but they are moderating. A descent into recession is the greatest threat facing the labor market of the next year. But the likelihood that this occurs has declined meaningfully in recent months. The key for the Fed is that the labor demand weakens without leading to a significantly higher layoffs and unemployment. 
However, elevated interest rates amid a still high inflation environment could weigh on the consumer behavior and the labor market more than expected. Thanks, David. Uh, It's easy today to find signs of increasing consumer financial stress. Uh, Even macro-level data points like increasing delinquency rates, ballooning consumer debt levels, uh, and even shrinking household affordability index are items that even casual listeners are likely to have come across. But beyond these high-level, broad paintstroke views, we'd like to explore some additional insights gathered from consumer data to try and get some more understanding into these big picture topics. And with all this in mind, let me start by asking Dave, help us understand a bit more about why that high level view we get from the national and economic and and credit trends isn't all we need to understand what that consumer stress picture looks like. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I think there's two really two views on the uh, U.S. economy, and they, as you've kind of pointed out, appear to be in opposition. Economists, if you read the papers, think the economy is going to be fine. Inflation will come down, unemployment will rise, interest rates remain steady. And then there's a lowly consumer who looks at their credit card statement and their bank statement and feels the real-world pains of that economy. In a Wall Street Journal survey, economists uh, lowered the recession probability below 50% and say the Fed is likely done raising interest rates. Fueling that optimism are three key factors, inflation continuing to decline, Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, that is done raising the interest rates and a robust labor market and economic growth that have outperformed expectations. Um, But the economic picture isn't all that rosy. Um, Economists warned in a survey that recent developments could cast shadows on the U.S. economy's prospects in the coming months. Things like the impact of the conflict between Israel and Hamas on energy prices. I know currently oil prices sit about $90 a barrel as of this morning. I mean, really, there's a lag in the perception uh, with the Consumers' evaluation of the economy actually is backward-looking, and uh, inflation was sky-high not too long ago. So you've got some consumers barely making ends meet and is one emergency away from financial dire straits. I'll give an example of this. Uh, Several years ago, I had a great job, and then COVID hit, and I was furloughed for three or four months and really was living on the enhanced uh, unemployment benefits that were available to consumers. All that is gone, and we see that in our uh, in the stats that we've been talking about with excess savings and kind of where consumers sit. And so, really, it's it's about where does the consumer sit today, and how have they positioned themselves, kind of going forward. According to a payments intelligence uh, data report, thirty three percent of consumers carry high debt levels exceeding two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Uh, Gen X actually is grappling with an average of 248000 or putting it a little more harshly, 397% of their disposable income. New reports, consumers, uh, the average consumer is uh, overdrawn for an estimate of about nine days you know, across demographic groups. Millennials and bridge millennials were found to have a, a, attempted more transactions without sufficient funds than any other cohort this past year at 37% and 34% respectively. Consumers are feeling rather glum about the outlook. Uh, Consumer confidence index of expectations actually fell below 80 uh, in September, a level that historically has signaled a recession within the next year. Um, If the performance of retail stocks are any indication, the American consumer is already in a slump. Companies like Dollar General say consumers are cutting back on discretionary purchases amid high inflation and a rundown in savings. And really on the kind of on that last point, that personal savings rate, really that 
that buffer for the consumer to withstand any kind of economic uh, stress on them has dropped to 3.9% as of August. And if we think about that, uh, putting in perspective, it was a high of 32% during the pandemic when all, we, all those enhanced benefits were available. And even just earlier this year, that uh, has fallen from 5%. So I really think uh, in terms of you know, where we're at, it's, it's worth noting that things are looking better, but you know, are we on a razor's edge of something potentially causing stress in certain consumer profiles. Yeah, Dave, you you made some interesting points about how, you know, at the one level, at the broad economic, you know, view, you know, things may look one way and then you dove into a few things around, you know, broad consumer strokes about, you know, consumer debt levels you know, and and you know, disposable income and so forth. I find it even interesting to go, you know, levels beyond that even and and say, well, if we're looking at that, those consumer trends, how can we dive dive in and, and splice those apart a little bit more? The other day, I was I was actually just playing around with some of the the data available to us around uh, looking at low income consumers. Yeah, so just try, keeping that income metric you know, steady and saying, okay, across all low income consumers, do we see the same levels of, of stress manifest themselves? And obviously, when we're talking about that, that particular segment, we're going to see higher delinquencies overall and higher signs of stress, you know, for the most part. But what's interesting is that even within those same somewhat similar segments, you, we can see big differences in terms of who's impacted by, by different, uh, different economic events. And what I was seeing is that you know, even within that that lowest of the low income bands, you can still make distinctions by things like you know the ratio of disposable income to uh, uh, to spending. Yeah, you know, those you know we when we look at those numbers and we and we see those consumers who have you know, less you know, discretionary spend. Those are the people that are even higher to you know higher likelihood to have massive derogs. Which goes, you know, which which kind of makes sense because those are the people that are already putting forward you know, more of their income towards the essentials, the housing, food, things that that aren't negotiable. So when you see someone with you know very low disposable spending ratios, you can kind of start to see that they're they're more at risk. You know, if a shock comes along and a, a large uh, payment comes due that wasn't expected, or even if it is expected. They're going to have a tougher time, you know, meeting that, you know, even compared to people within the same income and and credit bands. Yeah, I would have to say it's all a matter of perspectives, right? So as as Dave was referring right to the inflation, uh, we just heard Jerome Powell say it's still too high at three point seven. Um, coming from Argentina, one twenty four percent. It's of course complete uh, opposite, but even again at this macro level and now coming back to a serious economy like the US, the job market, as Dave was referring to, still remains strong. Layoffs are expected to stabilize. Consumers can still rely on credit. In fact, that consumer spending has been uh, labeled as remarkable by Moody's Analytics. But there are rising delinquency rates in credit card, auto, and unsecured loans is a, is, is a concern. Uh, the credit card debt uh, has reached $1 trillion, and the number of consumers that carry a balance month to month, what we refer to as revolvers, has surpassed this year those that pay their balance in full, the transactors. 
uh, based on research from JD Power. So although again the average utilization is close to twenty percent, and and Tom, you had referred to this um, during market pause yesterday, we do observe that the data in, in our data that the spread ranges from fifteen to 50%. So if you're among the population segments that are at over 30% of utilization, that becomes expensive debt to, to carry, particularly when um, pandemic era, era savings have been dipped into or even depleted, and the household uh, savings rates are down to 3.5% from the average uh, rate of 7.5 pre-pandemic uh, pandemic payments. Uh, referred to what they call to us uh, the age of the paycheck to paycheck economy and called out 62% of the population uh, needing to get to the next check to, to live. So again, even the Fed's uh, rule of thumb of savings covering a 400 emergency expense is, is not achievable for some households these days, let alone longest gone the six months of, of savings for, for emergency cushion, right? That is a luxury. Hey, Maria. Uh, hey, it's Jesse. I was kind of curious, uh, just a, a question for you. When, you know, I, I think about everybody who's who's up in arms about 9% inflation which you know obviously is high when we think of where we are or where we where we've come from and 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 uh you know maybe in our lifetime in the US but from somebody who's seen hyperinflation you know how do you how do you deal with it is it something that you just you just kind of you never knew anything different so you live with or is it I, I just just curious and any any insight you could provide there Yes, I would say that the economic crisis becomes a part of, um, it's a cyclical uh, situation. It's part of the normal data. You know, as we look at data in the U.S., the stability of the data, reliance on historic uh, input for um, um, any kind of um, uh, modeling or for adjusting cutoff scores and all the ways that we use data uh, thoroughly, it's that inflation impacts and all this hyperinflation, as you were saying, and, and uh, the effects that come from that is, is part of the new normal, right? So it's quite, quite different. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's fascinating to think about. You know, I, we, we think 9% is crazy, which I mean, obviously it is when your uh, uh, range is 2 to 9%, but it just, yeah, it seems, it seems uh, in perspective when you think of how some other communities, uh, you know, are. Yeah, I think that was pretty insightful to, you know, comments on different, uh, you know, areas and locations. And I know us as a team, you know, it's, it's something that we often talk about is like the, you know, some of the high level stats, like we hear things like GDP, and we know some of the limitations of that. You know, if we look at this, you know, our own selves as a group, we come from five different places. We're in DC, Chicago, San Francisco, Dallas, and, and myself, I'm in Atlanta. And we all have the opportunity to, you know, to travel to various client locations. And one of the things that I've noticed about that, uh, you know, perspective is when you when you get into the local cultures, we have an opportunity to see what are the, I guess, the micro economies that exist in those locations. And, and specifically, even within a customer set that we might be working with, you know, we work with those that operate in the, you know, most super prime segment, and then those that operate in the, you know, a more, uh, you know, subprime, you know, you know, deeper subprime segments. And, you know, some of the things that you, you can find is that there are certain places where cost of living is, you know, dramatically higher than others. And in, in certain locations, like I was traveling, to you know, Huntington Beach for you know, a, a, you know, clients uh, you know, just a few weeks ago, and you know, we you know, it's very easy to notice that uh, there's 
people that live there that may not even be experiencing any form of recession. But if you move, move go to some rural areas, perhaps in Appalachia, they've been in recession for 40 years as, at a personal level. Um, and so it just, you know, kind of got me thinking about, uh, you know, those different views. And then I guess relating that into uh, what I'm seeing, you know, in, in the auto segments is, you know, even within that perspective, cash flow becomes the, one of the most important things we can see with, you know, you know, monthly payments being on the rise. If we go back four years ago, the average monthly payment in the auto space was, you know, $415 or so. Now it's over 500. So even within, uh, you know, the, those, uh, micro economies and moving down to the consumer level, just affordability has changed a bit and, and our income's keeping pace with that. So it just got me thinking about, uh, you know, a lot of the different views on what can be impacting, you know, the overall consumer uh, profile today. Yeah, Tom, that's a good point. I, I think back to, um, you know, how, how you're saying the, you know, the sort of the balance sheet of the customer and thinking about the stability of income. And uh, for, I wanted to go back to though to to Dave. We're we're certainly uh, glad to to see you here. I know you uh, uh, you know you you came a couple of years ago, and it's uh it's it's been enjoyable to to have you on the team. I would say um, you know when I think back to the first part of the year, it was it was sort of staggering to think about how many forecasts you know were calling for like imminent recession, and you think of all the news and the social media and the you know, just the news uh, media in general and how that plays out and how it plays, you know, a role in shaping the, the consumer sentiment. And, you know, we as a group with uh, the risk advisory practice, we work hard to try and wade through the economic data, you know, with Dave, back to what you were saying around, you know, the, the economic forecasts really versus the, you know, the true impact to the consumer. And so I think that's, an important, you know, note to bring out is the the ability really then to take that data that we're seeing and figuring out what does it mean to the consumer. You know, how how does that consumer both you know get impacted as a, a result of the data, but then also what we put out and and how that could impact consumers. Uh, you know, when they when they see information in the you know in the marketplace that says things are good or not good, and so when I think about the idea of calling a recession, you know, so the nuances of economic forecasters calling for a recession, I think it's, it's interesting to, you know, to think about, it's, it's sort of academic, you know, when you think about the impact to the consumer, that impact is real. And we've talked about that idea of the K-shaped economy or the, the consumers that, you know, some of the consumers that we talk to are doing really well, and other consumers are, are really struggling. And so, you know, in my mind, I think, to what that means, I think can also mean that as a, you know, a customer or a lender, that consumer outreach is, is really important. We know that customers, you know, who have uh, financial challenges, they want help from lenders. They don't want to have to get into a situation where they have to decide what gets paid and what doesn't get paid. And we actually, that's not just a a prediction that's that's actually from co uh, consumer you know survey data that we see so there was a study done by Gallup and that survey data discovered that companies are that, that are successful in engaging with their customers they actually report 63% lower customer attrition things like 55% higher wallet share and 23% uh, better loss uh, and delinquency rates versus their competitors. So I think it's interesting as we think about the nuance of whether or not we're in a recession or going towards a recession. You know, it's good to understand that because obviously the overall impact of a recession is, you know, is felt by everybody. But it is also good to think about, you know, where that consumer is that you have on, you know, on your balance sheet today. And how do you 
make it human working with them and, and, you know, reacting to their needs. So I think that outreach is really important. Just, yeah, I, I love that point that you made about, you know, I'm probably not going to say it exactly the way you did, but, but basically, you know, whether the economists, you know, technically inform us that we are in a, in a recession or not is kind of academic yeah. you know, to some degree. Obviously it's, you know, there, there's a lot of importance about, you know, the macro you know, trends. And, and yeah. And I'm not, I'm not skewering academics either. I mean, right. I, you know, I think there's a place for it, but, but, but the key of that is, is like, regardless of what status we're in from a macro level, individual consumers are in their own private recessions or private periods of growth. And, and when it comes down to it, most of the, the, jobs of lenders are making decisions on a day-to-day basis at that consumer level and not you know making decisions based upon the macro you know statistics and, and information that we see and so so I think that's really key to as you're saying getting into that layer of understanding the consumer level information and and that's that granular recession or growth going on and not just you know what's going on at a US or regional level Maria I wanted to to by the way, thank you, Maria, for uh, for for mentioning you know yesterday's market pulse. Any any shameless plug, yeah, that uh, yeah we'll we'll gladly take. Uh, but uh, but I wanted to go back to you mentioned that revolvers had just surpassed transactors you know, recently, and, and I thought you know, maybe if you could you know, explain a little bit more about you know like for some of our listeners who may not know what a revolver or a transactor is. You know, what are the definitions there and why is that important? And is this something that happened suddenly or is this something that we've seen gradually becoming this you know, and, and where we are now? Thank you, Tom. Um, yes, when we are referring about revolvers, we mean those consumers that carry a balance month to month, me- meaning that they're not making the full payment of what the balance is. So they might be meeting the minimum payment, which means they are not going to come up as delinquent, right? But they're not paying in full. So the interest rate that is charged on the remaining balance will carry over and be added to any transactions for the next month. On the other hand of the spectrum, we have the transactors, and those are the ones that use credit as a means to facilitate uh, the purchase at the point of sale, the transaction, right? And so while they're using their credit cards, they're paying their balances in full. So they're not, again, incurring an interest, right, right? in the annual percent rate impact that credit cards, and currently they're around 20%, and that's another aspect, right? So while the transactors do not need to worry about increases um, in in average um, interest rates, uh, around 20%. Those that are having this paycheck to paycheck or falling into this paycheck to paycheck household situation, meeting even the minimum payment when the interest rates are these uh, this high might might mean they're they're you know a struggle, right? Just just to keep up. So it could be safe to say that if someone is going has moved from being historically a transactor, paying off their balances every month. But now we see that they're more of a revolver. They're making minimum payments or just not paying it off in full and incurring that additional interest rate. So that might be a sign that they're under some additional stress that that might not show up in terms of you know what their credit score says or anything like that. Because like you said, they are still making payments. They're not delinquent. But there's there's definitely something going on there that, that we would want to know about. I want to say, Tom, you, know, we, you and I were talking the other day as we were uh, reviewing the slides for, for Market Pulse, and we were looking at utilization rates, and it looked kind of flat. And we said, wow, we're hearing all this stuff. Consumers are spending, so you know, where's it going? Well, 
you know, banks have been increasing people's credit lines. And so as the consumer is spending, they have access to more lines. And so while that, and so on the surface level, you know, utilization rates, I think are hovering right average around 34% or so. And that seems, that seems, you know, relatively common. That's, that's okay. But it's the, you know, are they getting back to those 20, 30, $40,000 lines uh, that were really popular before the financial crisis back in 08? And, you know, we go back to that personal recession piece of thing, Tom, you've been, you've stated that uh, quite well um, on this forum, as well as in, in, in other speaking engagements that you've had. And really, you know, I think it's, it's digging into the details, right? It's, it's understanding the whole picture. And so while, you know, uh, consumers have gotten higher limits and so their utilization rates have been suppressed, if you will, um, they're, sp- they're still spending. And as Maria pointed out, you know, more people making the average payment now. And so I think those are the pieces and it's great for our customers, right? They love earning interest income. And so I think there's two kind of views. And I think that's kind of what I started, uh, you know, my talking point about from the economy, right? There's the, there's the overall view and then there's the consumer view. And what's, what works really well for banks and financial institutions may not be the best for every consumer. Right. So I think that's, a, that's an interesting kind of thought as we move on. Dave, talking about, you know, the balance activity too on, you know, things like credit cards. I, so being from Texas, I'll tell you a, a quick story. There's a, down the street from me, there's a, a field that they store oil rigs in. And it's, it's funny because I feel like I can, and, and this is not statistically significant by any means, but I feel like I can tell the value of oil per barrel going up or down based on how many rigs I see on that, you know, in that field. And, um, it, it almost makes me kind of, you know, think back to, you know, now when I open up my mailbox and again, not to, st- not to st- statistically significant because I think I open up my mailbox maybe every two weeks, but I'm seeing a lot more card offers in the mail, a lot of balance transfer, 0% balance transfer. It's almost like, you know, you can kind of feel, we talked about, you know, before that idea of consumer sentiment and you can just kind of feel there's a shift or there's kind of a trade wind blowing in terms of, you know, moving balances and, and balances increasing and then figuring out, you know, kind of how to, how to jockey those, you know, in the best, uh, the best financial, you know, sense that you can. So again, not statistically significant, but it feels like, uh, you know, you could kind of create a pulse off of that. So Jesse, you're not going to be trying to corner the oil market by, by, you know, basing it off of how many rigs you see moving on a daily basis? Well, I, you know, I always try to, but I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not, I don't think my, uh, my neighbor is actually an oil person. And he told me that to be an oil person, you had to put $10,000 in cash in a, in a brown paper bag and leave it on your lawn for 10 days. And if, uh, if you don't care about it, if you don't care if it's still there after 10 days, then you could be in the oil business. I guess I'm not going into the oil business. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I would care. Um, um, yeah, that's not something I think I would, uh, I would undertake. Yeah, Dave, I recall out you know, one of the, the points that you made on, on the utilization, which I think is a, a really you know, interesting one, because we w- you and I were talking about you know, that, that trend of bank card utilization, and we were looking at that, that little dotted gray line that before the pandemic was hovering around 25%, and then it dipped when the you know, pandemic came and because everyone stopped using their cards. And, uh, and then it started coming back up again. But it's been hovering, what, like around 22 or so for, for a good year or two now. Um, and it's like you can look at that and think, wow, people, you know, 
maybe we're kicking the card habit. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we're not using cards as much because I'm, you know, looking at just that one line, it's saying that utilization isn't you know, as high as, as what we saw in the pandemic. But then as you, you rightfully point out, that, that 22% utilization is on twice the, the amount of credit limit available than the 25% utilization pr- prior to the pandemic. So basically, if we're using 22% of $10,000, that's a lot more than 25% of $5,000. It's another good lesson in, in terms of looking at you know, the, the full picture and not just you know, trying to splice things out by taking a single data point and trying to, to make you know, concrete decisions from it. That's big math on a Friday, Tom. I, it is. It's it challenged me. Thank God I had my coffee. I, I know. I know. We've been talking about you know over time, like just the you know the idea and um of in concept of us having access to more information, and, and it's really funny. In my spare time, I I do look at like our you know we have we have all the auto loans, uh all and you know card loans or I'm, I'm sorry card accounts that were uh, opened you know for the last four years readily available at our at our fingertips, and uh, one of the things that I I was just I was just thinking of uh, you know as we were you know all talking with within the auto space the you know the single most um, powerful predictor of positive payment ha- behavior downstream after the credit score is going to be payment to income and I know I talked about the monthly payments being on the rise and I started thinking about like what are all the things that uh, can impact you know someone's income and what might be at threat and I know we've been talking about you know student loans you know having you know some of the you know the cash flow moving towards that coming up. But I, I, I pulled up just now, like what is the hit rate to our payday loan database? And what I found interesting about that is that uh, if you go over time, over the last four years, it's averaged between you know twelve and a half percent up to seventeen percent hit rate across all auto loans originated month over month during that time frame. With the peak being in um, uh, March of twenty uh, March of twenty twenty two or is that twenty one? Yeah, March of twenty twenty two. And <clears throat> but then what what's interesting about that is when I break it down then into the origination score, we see that hit rate skyrockets to over fifty percent of uh, auto loans originated you know month over month for you know consumers that you know have a credit score that is less than 580 but what was remarkably interesting about that is that consumers over the credit score 760 and I'm talking vantage score here when I'm referring to that is that we're seeing anywhere you know on average of you know you know three to four to five percent of consumers that have a credit score over uh, 760 that also have a payday loan. And so it's, it's just kind of interesting to see what are some of the threats to income and some of the threats to, uh, I guess, the, you know, the total increases in payments that you know, someone might be experiencing. So we call these things like alternative data, but it's data that could be leveraged to understand what's that consumer experiencing in their life to be able to uh, help put them into the right, uh, you know, the right loan at the right time. Everyone, I appreciate that. It looks like that's all we have time for today. Uh, as mentioned before, though, we are going to be rolling out more of these podcasts around this theme each month for the rest of 2023, which by my math you know, means that we'll have two more. Uh, so make sure to keep an eye out for, for those. Uh, I'd like to thank the panelists for joining me today. And for our listeners who would like to know more about this topic, please reach out to us at riskadvisors at equifax.com or reach out to your Equifax sales contact. Thank you. And we look forward to having you join us for another podcast. The information and opinions provided in this podcast are intended as general guidance only and are subject to change without notice. The views presented during the podcast are those of the presenter as of the date this podcast was recorded 
and do not necessarily reflect official positions of Equifax. Investor analysts should direct inquiries using the Contact Us box on the Investor Relations section at Equifax.com.